Today on The Girl Defined Show, I have a huge treat in store for you because we are tackling a topic that I have been wanting to cover for so many years here on The Girl Defined Show that we just weren't able to because I couldn't find the right guest, I couldn't find the right person. Y'all, I have found her. Candace Waters is amazing, and we are digging into all things birth control, family planning, talking about why we as women should even have babies. She debunks so many of the myths that so many of us as modern Christian women buy into, why we delay having kids because we want to build our careers, then have family later, or we don't want to mess up our figure, or we don't think we have the finances for it. She unpacks facts and just compelling, inspirational research that she has from writing her book, which is called Start Your Family, Inspiration for Having Babies. And it is such a compelling conversation. This is only part one, though, because another huge part of this conversation is the specific topic of hormonal birth control. And so part one in this conversation with Candice, we're going to build a foundation, understand God's incredible design for family, how we as modern women have been lied to, to basically think that everything else should come first before having babies, that babies are some sort of accessory, that we can control everything, that one day when we're finally ready, things will happen just the way we want, and why that often isn't the case for so many women. And then next week, I'm going to dive specifically in part two into the topic of hormonal birth control, the pill, because something else that has been so widely accepted is the pill. And this doctor is going to come on and bring some expert wisdom in talking all about our bodies as women, our cycle, our fertility, how things work, and how the hormonal birth control pill disrupts everything. She isn't for it, and the things that she shares are mind-blowing. So you are going to want to stick around, whether you're married or single, this conversation is for you because it has to do with us as women. It is compelling. Is it, it is inspiring. It is honestly mind-blowing. I have so many times during these two episodes, I just found myself like wanting to jot down notes, wanting to remember, re-listen to things because of how good it is. This is the kind of conversations that you are going to want to share with every friend that you have, with every single Christian sister, because everyone needs to hear this. And I hope that you will grab a copy of Candace's book, Start Your Family, Inspiration for Having Babies. And also, if you haven't read our book, Girl Defined, God's Radical Design for Beauty, Femininity, and Identity, these two books go hand in hand because they're all about God's design for womanhood. And so I'm telling you, if you just read those two books alone over this next year, your life and your perspective on God's design, your growth would be huge. You would not regret it. But let's dive into part one and then come back next week and join me for part two as we talk all about God's design for family, babies, children, birth control. Let's go there. Hey, sisterhood, it is Kristen here, and I have been wanting to have this conversation. I cannot tell you for how long I've been wanting to talk about these huge topics of birth control, family planning, when to have babies, why to have babies. And this is not just a conversation I'm thinking of for like all of our young married women, although do not leave. (laughs) This is a conversation for every woman because we're women. We're made in God's image. A huge part of our female design is procreation, like even the ability to have babies. And if you're like, yeah, I'm young, I'm not even thinking about that. Well, stick around because my guest, who I'm going to introduce in just a second, is going to share some things that are going to get you thinking and maybe even inspired and planning and thinking of your future in a way that you never have before. And so joining me today is an old friend and the author of an amazing and provocative book called Start Your Family, Inspiration for Having Babies. Candace Waters, welcome to The Girl Defined Show. Thank you, Kristen. It is so fun to be with you today. Such a good thing to have this time together. Yes. Oh, and this conversation. Okay, so tell us all, just right off the bat, why you and your husband decided to write this book about 
babies about starting your family? Like what inspired you guys? We wanted to write this book because we needed this book when we were newly married. We thought we would take the typical five years to get to know each other, that we would explore our new city together, that we both have high-powered jobs and save up a lot of money and buy our first home and maybe do a little travel. And about six months into our newlywed plan, our mentors came to visit us, Hugh and Mary Morgan, and she asked me during a walk, so when are you going to have babies? And I told her our big plan. And she said, oh, well, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm, I'm 27. Why? And she said, well, why do you think you'll still, or how do you know you'll still be fertile when you decide that you're ready to have kids? And that that is such a, like a personal direct question. <laughs> Were you guys kind of taken like aback? Like, wait, what? <laughs> um, I was taken aback for like 10 seconds. And then I thought, I've never, nobody's asked me this before. I've never thought about this before. What if she's, what if there's something to what she's asking me that I need to be thinking about? I was more offended by the idea that I'd never thought about it than the fact that she broached the topic. You know, she Mm, did go where angels feared to tread. Yes. And I figured if I needed help, because I grew up in a traditional Christian home with lots of siblings, and so did my husband, Steve, both sets of parents still married, And we had a very worldly understanding of what the early married years should look like, and especially about having babies. And if we needed help to get going on the path to family, we figured we're probably not alone. There are probably other people who need help. Mm. So that's why we wrote the book. Wow. But what happened next? I'm so curious. Like you have this conversation. She's telling you like, well, are you sure you're going to even be able to? You're going to be too old. And like, what was your husband thinking? What happened next between you guys? We were walking on a path in Colorado and Mary and I were walking ahead of Steve and Hubert. And I think Steve could overhear some snippets of what we were saying. And he was not where I was yet. We had had conversations about starting our family and he wasn't ready, as ready as I was. And I think, ladies, we just have a biological Mm built-in clock. Even if we don't think of it that way, we know that there's something about the way we're made that's designed for babies. We have a monthly reminder. We have a cycle. We have all these things that point to Mm -hmm. procreation. And so we had talked about it, but he wasn't ready to pull the trigger, so to speak. And, um, Hugh and Mary brought the conversation up again once we got back from our walk when all four of us were together. Mm -hmm. And Steve tells the story in the book of how he put up his best defense and his rational (laughs) reasons why it wasn't responsible and we didn't have enough money in the bank and all the things that Mm -hmm. we all hear. And Hugh just looked straight at him and said, Steve, budget for everything but babies. Babies are wealth. Wow. Steve was really challenged by Hugh. And I would say within about three weeks, of talking and praying, the Lord got us onto the same page and we said, let's do this thing. Let's, let's mm. try. Yeah. And was it for you guys, were you able to have babies quickly? Was it a harder oh, process? That's a great question. Um, it took us, I think this is a long time ago, but I think it was about a six month process of trying. And I think that that is, uh, better than average. It t- I think a lot of young women are surprised to find out how long it takes to conceive. Mm-hmm. We have this illusion of control because we live yes. in a birth control culture. And so we think as soon as I go off the pill or as soon as I stop doing whatever we've been doing to prevent pregnancy, the, f- the switch will flip and suddenly we'll be able to have babies. And it just doesn't always work out that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Um, so within six months we conceived and by God's grace, that first pregnancy went full term and we had a healthy baby. Other stories later down down mm. the road that we, we can talk about, but yeah. um, th- that first baby did come. Even six months, though, felt like a really long time to wait. Yeah. Oh, man. So 
I don't know if you know much about my background with infertility and recurrent miscarriage, but I have like the opposite story and that my husband and I got married. We were, I was 24, he was 23 and we were open to having kids right away. We weren't, we're like, we're not going to do birth control. We're not going to, we're just going to let God decide, you know? And I remember us having this conversation about like, oh, you know, we, we kind of hope God gives us a little bit of time so that we can just enjoy these early years of marriage, build this foundation, kind of like this mindset, like, you know, down the road, but we're just going to let God choose. And it was, it's so like ironic looking back now, 11 years later and looking back on our story, because at the time we thought we were so surrendered, like, Lord, we are open to your plan. You know, what, Ever you have for us, you know, we'll trust you. And little did we know that God was going to bring about a journey that was the exact opposite. You know, we thought he was going to open the floodgates and give us more kids than we can handle. Little did we know it was going to be the next, you know, 10, 11 years now of just infertility and longing for children and experiencing not having something. Like you said, the control, I wasn't on the birth control pill, but I was on the mindset of like, oh, if I just trust God, you know, he will give me everything in his timing. But in my mind, the timing was my timeline, right? Of like exactly the right time and this right age. They're all going to be perfectly spaced and we're going to have the exact number that we want, that we decide on. And so a little bit of the opposite of what you're saying with the birth control, but still the same heart of I can control this. And so lacking that heart of surrender and really trusting God, um, pursuing him wholeheartedly in the area of children. So thankfully, God you know, his grace, he's so sweet, has given us two boys that our sisterhood knows about through adoption. And that's just been an amazing journey that I never saw coming. Um, but <clears throat> I think what you're saying is so true, the way that so many young women enter marriage and they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, maybe kids at some point down the road, maybe, like, I don't know, probably, you know, because most Christians, at least the women I talk to, they have a pro-life, a pro-baby family mindset, but it's kind of like down the road sometime. And I don't really know when, and I don't really know why or how or how many, but we'll talk about that maybe in four to five years. So where, and I don't feel like it's always been that way. And I know you talk about this in your book, like what has changed to where women now get married and kids are on the back burner for a long time? I think practically one of the biggest things is that the pill was invented and suddenly Mm. sex and procreation, having sex and having babies (coughs) was separated from each other. And so we we stopped assuming that babies were part of marriage and we became capable to our detriment of separating the goods of babies from marriage. It's one of the blessings. Mm. It's one of the reasons God gave us marriage is to be fruitful and multiply. Suddenly we had a technological way to say, no, well, you know, we want the sex and we want the marriage, but we don't want the babies or at least not yet. And so with that came just a change in the cultural mindset away from a biblical understanding. It's not that everybody in the past had a biblical understanding. It's just that the science and technology and and drugstores didn't have things that made it possible Mm -hmm. to move away from a biblical understanding. So you just had these built-in supports and people thought, we're going to get married and we know that babies are part Mm -hmm. of that. We're probably going to have kids. And that was a good thing. And babies are a common grace gift from God. They're one of the primary ways that he sanctifies us. And um, we we miss out. And I don't think there's a lot of conversations among young women to say, you don't realize what you're saying no to. You think you're saying yes to freedom and yes to fun and Mm -hmm. yes to entertainment and yes to more money and all of these things. But those things are so much less than the eternal blessing and sanctification. And I mean, there's just such a a wealth of joy that comes with the bone wearying work of being a mom, right? It's not easy joy at all. And it is some of the hardest work you could ever do, but it's, it's such worthy work. 
Yeah. Is there anything you can tell us about the history of the pill? Um, just kind of like when it came into play, where it came yeah. from, or is that out of your scope? Right. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it, it hit the, I don't know. Steve should be here for this. He's ah! the English guy. Or just, you don't have to give, give like dates or anything specific, but yeah, just well, like when the pill came in and how it really, I feel like it was so widely accepted and still is to this day. It's almost like not even thought if a doctor says, you know, yeah, get on the pill, even if it's not for birth control, but just right. acne or, you know, just for hormonal stuff. Um, it's yes. just become so popular and so common to Day that I don't even think women now, like modern women, you know, Gen, what are they called? Gen Xers, Gen Zers, I don't know, millennials who are <laughs> like thinking, you know, differently about it because it's just yeah. all they've ever known. Well, it's, it's everywhere in the culture assumed, but it's also assumed by almost every OBGYN. Ask any mm-hmm. young woman who's going to the doctor before she gets married the doctor will just as a matter of course say, so what's your birth control going to be here? I'll write you a script for the pill. There's kind of this built in assumption Mm. and Christian OBGYNs are not in a, you know, uh, they're, they are not immune to this way of thinking. The assumption is we're going to go right onto the pill and just we'll get to the baby thing when we get there. And there's so little talked about among married, uh, there's so little talked about during the premarital mm. counseling with a lot of pastors. It's just not um, top of mind for a lot of people. I'm surprised how many young couples get married without having a conversation. Yeah, yeah. About how many kids they want, or if they want children, or or what will they do if they can't have children, or what if they these. It's like it's just not top of mind, and I think we've become so focused on superficial things like mm. the dress and the ceremony and the cake and the excitement and the the thrill and. Those things are all fun and they're an important part of celebrating, but they are not the long-term mm-hmm. meat and potatoes of mm-hmm. what married life is. Yeah. I know so many women, amazing women in my church and friends and just women who are so ambitious. They're like, on fire for the Lord and passionate and just like go-getter kind of women. And I'm just thinking of a few specific situations and I love these girls to death, but, um, you know, we've had some conversations about family and babies and I've seen, you know, kind of this recurring pattern of these women who are super intentional in a lot of other areas mm-hmm. of their life. Yeah. But then, you know, we bring up the topic of kids and again, it's kind of like you're saying that, oh, you know, I don't know, maybe. And it's just kind of like, wow, there's a disconnect to where we're so intentional and planning and preparing and growing and learning in so many other areas of our lives as Christian women. But then the area of family and babies and thinking of this from a biblical lens, even growing at our understanding seems to be completely missing in a lot of circumstances. So for like the Christian woman, what what's going on in our culture and in our churches where women are like, it's not even a thought? It's not even a thought. That's yeah. right. It's <laughs> we're just absorbing so much of the way of the world's thinking on having babies, and and you're right. It's not, and I think it's not just in the um, having babies. It's also in the getting married. There's a lot mm. of kind of backing your way into whatever happens, hoping for the best, trusting the Lord. But not a ton of intentionality. And maybe in the Christian world, it's because we don't feel like we're allowed or able to do anything. We're afraid we'll cross over into taking the initiative or being mm. a leader. And there's, there's a, a certain, a fair amount of women who want to be biblical in how they get to marriage. 
which by the way, a shameless plug. Yes, you're about to. I will give a shameless plug for your other book, right? Is it called Get Married, What Women Can Do to Help It Happen? Yes. Is that the title? Which by the the way, we want to have you back on to have a conversation about that. (laughs) And they're really linked. The the topics go together. It's Get Married, it's Start Your Family, and then one of these days we'll get around to part three, which is now what? (laughs) Ooh, I love it. Yes, please. It's a discipleship book for kids. Um, You know, Hugh, the, the mentor that I talked about at the beginning, um, he was the one who, when I asked, what are we supposed to do about the world is falling apart and everything is, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. The mm-hmm. culture is falling apart. We were in a public policy program. I said, what's the answer? What are we supposed to do? And he said, Candace, you need to get married, make babies and do government. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? <laughs> yes. And I what? was so offended. I said, oh my goodness. Well, I would love to be married and I would love to have kids, but the Lord hasn't given me that. And I, you know, gosh darn it, I'm doing government so that all these nice moms can go home and have their kids and do all the things I wish mm. I were doing. And I, I just didn't understand how much a part of God's plan it is to get married and have children and how hopeful that is mm. for this culture that is falling apart. Just yeah. reading the newspaper this morning, I was overwhelmed again by how bad things are and yeah. had that kind of gripping, a little bit of panic of, God, what is happening? Mm-hmm. And then I remembered our interview coming up and I thought, no, this is exactly what God wants us to do. He wants us to keep yeah. being faithful, keep being fruitful. Every baby that's born is a reminder that the Lord still has a plan for this generation. Mm-hmm. A new generation is being born right yeah. now. Yeah. And that's the vision I think we've lost. And we're going to get to that in a little bit is the generational vision of, you know, we are such a, a me time here and now in this moment, Mm. just pursuing the next thing. And we've lost sight, I think, of the bigger picture of building God's kingdom, that generational vision we see in scripture. Um, but yeah, I want to, I want to hear some of the reasons what, why you think people, young couples specifically, Christian couples. I know our podcast is geared toward Christian women, so that's going to be the majority of our listeners here. But, you know, I hear reasons for why it's not a good time to have a baby, right? Like it's, we don't have the money saved up. You know, we want to pay off these debts or we're just too busy or we're both working and we, you know, we need to climb the ladder in our jobs and maybe down the road, we'll figure out a little window that's going to open up and we can have a family. I mean, what reasons are you hearing for why couples are saying, no, 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 we're not having kids yet because... Yeah, one of the big ones is that the husband and wife are not on the same page. So the wife wants babies and the husband doesn't, or the husband wants babies and the wife isn't ready. And a lot of times it's just a matter of talking to them as brother and sister in Christ. And I will say this happens so much more effectively in the context of a local church membership. Mm-hmm. I Most of the conversations I have that are like the one Mary had with me are with fellow church members because we have mm-hmm. we have a base of trust and and responsibility for one another. But I do go to where angels fear to tread. I do ask <laughs> young women who are married, so, you know, do you hope to have children? I don't assume. Yeah. Because I have found a lot of them were more like what you experienced, where they'll say, we've been trying for six years or we've been mm. trying for seven years. And suddenly now I'm burdened for them and I know, oh gosh, I need to be yeah. praying for them and praying with them. And in, in, even in that moment, stop and pray with them and encourage and know that, you know, you're not alone. And it, it is when the Lord said there would be pain in childbirth. It is pain in childbearing. It is pain throughout the whole timeline of being Mm -hmm. a mom, longing to have a baby. Um, So I'm off topic again, but to get to your question. No, it's so good. um, Encouraging couples where one wants a baby and the other isn't ready. One, to pray for unity in their marriage. And to encourage Mm -hmm. and even challenge the one who isn't ready to say, are you asking the Lord to make you one 
in how you're thinking about having children and just to present to them the biblical vision for what babies are, a reward from the Lord, a mm. blessing from God. It, you know, when God blessed Adam and Eve, the blessing was be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And God's vision is couples making babies who then they spend their lives making disciples of Jesus. It mm. is a huge gospel opportunity. Yeah. It is the primary ministry of most average couples. You know, most Christian couples aren't going to go to deepest, dark, darkest Africa. Yeah. They are just going to stay home and have a few kids. And how they raise those kids in the fear of the Lord or don't is a huge opportunity to be a gospel outpost. It, mm. It's just a, such an important message for young couples to hear because they're not hearing it yeah. in their regular life. Yeah. Yeah. I think another reason that couples resist the idea of starting their family is because there's so much pressure on social media and in the culture around us to prioritize how we look and yeah. babies are hard on our bodies. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the beauty marks of having babies. Are <laughs> and I love the way you put that as beauty marks, they which is true. They yes. Are, they are beautiful beauty. I have a, a friend who said her three-year-old saw her get out of the shower, her daughter, and she was touching the stretch marks on her stomach and asking, mommy, mm. what are these marks? And she just teared up and said, those are my beauty marks. They're wow. from carrying you in my womb and wow. giving you birth. And we've so degraded mm -hmm. our bodies and we treat them like commodities and we forget that they were designed for a purpose to do something. And I, I can remember when after Zoe, our daughter was born, I was still carrying around baby weight and feeling unattractive. And um, I had this breakthrough thought, though. My body is doing what it was designed to do. Wow. And it is okay and it's good mm -hmm. to go against what the culture holds up as beautiful because so often what the culture holds up as beautiful isn't even true. Right. It's so fake. Yes. Filters and Photoshop yes. and changed and modified. Yes. Right. Right. And if it's not true... It, it isn't really beautiful. You know, you have the good, the beautiful, and the true. And those mm. three things, the transcendentals that Plato talked about, they hang together. And something that isn't true, like an airbrush photo, can't mm. be beautiful by definition. And something that the world would say is ugly, like a deformed, beautiful baby born with mm. horrible defects, mm -hmm. birth defects, disfigurement, that in God's eyes is so beautiful. Mm. So helping, yes. helping women have a, a bigger vision for what their bodies are for, reminding them, ladies, your hair, it's going <laughs> to, you're going to get these oh, lines yeah. on your forehead. Already you're there. Gonna, <laughs> you're going to smile and your cheeks aren't going to come back to place. I mean, we yes. are, you know, what does Paul say? Our outer selves are wasting away. Yes. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Mm. And so remembering too, that your fertility years, your most beautiful, tight bodied, beautiful years, are so fleeting. Mm. They are passing like a vapor. And to spend all of those years trying to hold on to that beauty and not doing the thing that you think will affect that beauty, you're still yeah. gonna, you're still gonna sag. You're still gonna wrinkle. You're still gonna <laughs> yes. gain the LBs that you wish you could shed. <laughs> so I say either, I say have the babies and then become a little less what the culture says is awesome. And you have the joy of mm. eternal beings to yes. disciple and love for the rest of your lives. Or hold on to your beauty as tightly as you can for, what, mm -hmm. 10, 15, maybe 20 years if you have really good DNA. <laughs> You're still going to look like me. <laughs> and
and you look beautiful. So I don't know. That's that's might encourage people. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, the I feel like when you're as you're saying this, I'm thinking of the younger women more specifically. Um, for sure, moms, and I, I've talked to some of my mom friends friends who are wrestling with this. Like, I haven't even lost the baby weight, and I'm a couple years in. You know, our youngest is getting older, and I just don't feel like I'm ready because I just don't want to lose weight. And you know, this vision of of what the body needs to look like, even to be ready to have another baby. But as you were talking, I was thinking of a lot of our single sisters who are, they're not teens, some of them are, but a lot of them are in their 20s and 30s. Um, and the pressure on social media, especially for single women when it comes to body image, is so incredibly intense. And I am telling you, I'm like talking about this from Girl to Find all the time and finding my own self struggling regularly as I'm looking at these perfect images of women my age who have way better skin than me, who don't struggle with pimples still, who don't have lines on their face, who are perfectly in shape. You know, I was telling my husband, I was like, honey, Instagram is getting to me because I feel like all I'm seeing are butts on there. <laughs> like yeah, It's like the new yeah. fad is to show off your butt, your perfectly toned butt. I'm like, I just, I need to take a break. I just can't see any more butts. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I need them. Mm-hmm. It's not even people I follow. It's just when it brings up like sponsored or recommended posts. I'm like, why yeah. am I seeing all these butts? But it yeah. gets me even feeling like, oh, like my body is so ugly, so unattractive. Look at all my flaws. And we become hyper-focused to the point that it's, it's our main goal is to like, you're saying, achieve this look that's only can only even if we achieve it possibly last for a short few you know right. decade maybe right. two decades if you're like 15 right now i don't know um but that lie that trap and then having kids having babies now becomes like ooh the thing that we want to stay away from because it's going to alter our bodies even more and move us further away from that goal that we have which is based on a lie which is not even grounded in scripture so i'm so glad you brought that up what yeah. is there any encouragement you can give to our younger single sisters yeah. as they are currently wrestling with that seeing that and they're not even having kids yet but i know when they get yeah. there this is going to be a challenge the best advice i can give you from the bottom of my heart, is get off social media. Mm. Kristen, I, I, I know you have to be there. You, you're, you're an evangelist there. You, know, you have a job that requires you or at least compels you to be there for part of your life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you shouldn't be there like everybody else is there. We should, if we're going to do social media, we should do it as God's daughters, mm. as ambassadors for him. And I, um, I, I just think I'm willing to be that woman that says, you know, I'm not on social media yeah. because some of us have to stay off of it to stay sane mm. and to be able to throw lifelines to our, our sisters to say, you don't have to live that way. There is a better way. There is so much freedom from not getting lost in the comparison trap. It's, it's either envy or greed. I, I didn't have the strength to be on social media because it was always either envy or greed. I left feeling really great about myself and mm. or I felt really bad about myself. And I was, you know, especially like, I don't have what they have and how do they afford that? And it just fuels sin in my heart. And it, it just sucks my time in such a way that I don't even know I'm spending it. So Teddy was two, he's 13 now. And I was sitting at my desk typing something for Facebook. I'm sure it was so urgent. And he came <laughs> up to me and he was pulling on my arm. And I, I, I found myself trying to get him off my arm, kind of you know, mm. move him aside, son, I'm, I'm busy. Mommy's busy. And it's like the Holy Spirit just came on me in conviction. And I thought, what am I doing? I am pushing away my flesh and blood son who I love. I would mm-hmm. die for him. 
And we say that I would die for you. Yeah. But will I get off Facebook for you? Mm. Yeah. I've had so many, um, I feel like I've reclaimed so much of my life and time just by stepping away from what everybody else assumes is just natural. In the same way we assume we have to go on the pill, everybody assumes they have to be on Facebook because if they're not on Facebook, life isn't going to happen to them, right? Because if you Mm -hmm. don't see it on Facebook, you don't see it. Well, there is another way to live. Um, But at a minimum, we have to be better stewards of this. And remember, we're going to give an account to the Lord Mm. for how we spent every minute scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Yeah. Hey, I think, I think someone listening right now needed to hear that. So you're willing to say the hard truths, the hard exhortations. And that's so good because it isn't something that we need to automatically all be on. And, you know, to be honest, I'm not on Facebook personally. I am on Instagram, but hardly ever. I mean, my sister's always like, can you please post every now and then so people know you're still alive? <laughs> I'm like, I, but I find myself wrestling with the same things you're talking about, those ditches that you can so easily fall in. And I'm just so much happier to not be on it. But with our ministry, yes, we do. That's a huge yeah. way that we connect. So, but it is a little bit of a battle. So I'm glad you you gave anyone listening you heard her you have the freedom to get off and if that is a huge yeah huge pitfall and a stewardship to evaluate your heart i know this conversation this whole episode isn't even about social media but it's worth (laughs) mentioning because of how it impacts our hearts in so many other ways so one other thing i want to address when it comes to reasons couples are hesitant to have kids is a huge one i hear all the time and it's finances and you said something very interesting at the beginning of this conversation budget for everything except kids what does that mean It means that unlike anything you can buy, babies are eternal and Mm. they will be somewhere forever, heaven or hell, hopefully with you in heaven. Everything else we buy, everything will not last. And so Morgan, Dr. Morgan was so enthusiastic. I mean, he always said these things, these, you know, he would throw these bombs and he would throw them with a smile and it was so jolting and jarring to us to realize we're treating baby a baby like a thing mm-hmm. that we have to save money to buy and that's not how it works it's good to be fiscally responsible the proverbs are full of wisdom sayings about storing up for the future and um, owing no man anything but i think we have to be honest in our consumer culture we spend so much money on things that we don't need and it's really good to have someone in your life challenge you on that and say, okay, but how much money do you really need in your budget to have a baby? Mm. What does it really cost? You don't have to buy all the gear. You know, all you need to hold a baby is your arms. You don't have to have these <clears> 10 <throat> speaking of butts, <laughs> these butt holders, right? The car. You have to have a car seat and arms, but you don't have to have the expensive wraps and table things and, you know, bouncy seats. So true. And yes. There's so much gear it, and yes. it's just become another, you know, target purchasing frenzy kind of thing. Yep. And once you get pregnant in the context of a church, you can't imagine how many hand-me-downs and, and mm-hmm. um, items that people share with you and everything so true. you need. Just put out a church-wide email. You'll get everything because all <laughs> yes. the moms have bought all the gear. <laughs> right? They're like, I have 20 of those laying around and three exactly. of those. Yes. Exactly. So I think our financial expectations are unrealistic. The the you know the Wall Street Journal will come out every year or so with a new update on how much it costs to have a baby and and. I, I look at those numbers and I think, well, that can't be true because we've never had that much money. Yes. Or babies. Okay. I know. <laughs> I see those numbers too. And I'm, I feel the same way. Like 
if that's true, what is it like 250,000 over the lifetime? Like how does anybody afford? So where are they getting those numbers from? And what is realistic? Like if a couple like, yes, babies do cost something. They're not, you know, cost free, but they're not costing $250,000. I mean, unless there's some extreme medical needs or something like that, but what's realistic? Well, I, I don't think that budget should be a factor. I think if, if the husband is working full time, Mm -hmm then you as a couple need to learn how to live within what he makes. And and that's a yeah, harder that's thing good. to hear. But you married him and he is biblically charged with being the provider and the protector. And thankfully, so many women can bring their creativity and help support, you know, build up the family purse a bit. And my goodness, we have so many options now for working from home and creativity yeah. and flexibility. And so we can contribute in ways that are very Proverbs 31. But I, I've had to wrestle with this myself and I've counseled so many younger women to say, you know, you're living on two incomes. You're getting used to having all this extra money for doing the things you want to do. But what would it take for you to get down to one or one and a part mm. of yours? And are you willing to do that? I don't think it's a question of can you live yeah. on that? We live in, especially in the U.S., we live in such a wealthy country and yeah. we have, again, everything you need, you could probably get donated from church, friends at church barring, you know, some unforeseen medical difficulty. Mm-hmm. But but the bottom line is the Lord is our provider, not the company we work for. And so he knows what we're going to need for the babies that he appoints for us to have. Mm-hmm. He is sovereign over all these things. And I think the journey to getting from thinking in a budget mindset to trusting the Lord with this mm-hmm. is a journey of spiritual maturity and rightly understanding who our provider is and submitting to the provision the Lord gives us and coming under our husbands and saying, okay, and I'm still learning how to do this. How do I live contentedly with what the Lord provides for us? Wow. Everybody's going to have to learn that because it doesn't matter how much money you have. You feel like you don't have enough and it doesn't change. You know, when you get a raise or you have a down year, you still feel that sense of, I want more. Mm. And that's because we have disordered wants and we need mm. our we need our wanter to be fixed by God it's broken. Wow, that is so good. I think you nailed it there because I was as you were talking I was thinking like what is at that like what's underlining that the idea of like, I don't have enough money or we need to save more. Is it that you really do need to save more or is it that you are, you don't want to give up the life that you're accustomed to, that you're comfortable with? Even if it's not a lavish life, you know, there are going to be sacrifices made and you don't want, you don't want that yet. You just want to have, you know, that kind of like the, it just seems like the standard way that young Christian married couples go is they get married and then there's like four to five years of just the two of them. And then down the road, they have babies. And I know everyone has different motivations and reasons and we're all struggling and working toward understanding, you know, hopefully understanding God's design. But I wonder if if we're honest with ourselves, if so much of it is that our wants are not truly aligned with God's heart. I've had so many encouraging stories of couples that have stepped out in faith and said, okay, we're going to trust God. Mm. And just to hear how the Lord provided for them one couple said that they were going to go down to one income, and so they got down to one car. And another couple, um, the husband was, I think it took him a year to find a job, and they went ahead and and she got pregnant, and they were expecting, and he was still looking for a job. And just to mm. walk through that with them and encourage them that it wasn't wrong to embrace the gift of children, 
it, it, it can sound very irresponsible. They got a lot of pushback from relatives who said, what are you doing? Don't you guys know how babies are made? Why are you getting pregnant? He doesn't even have a job yet. Now he wasn't, you know, a, a lazy bum kind of guy who wasn't looking for a job. His job, his full-time job was looking for a job and the Lord provided for him. But to see them trust God mm-hmm. and to receive children as the gift that they are, remembering that up until very recently in human history, every baby was born in a very impoverished situation. So true. Right? Mary and yeah. Joseph, what did they have? Yes. <laughs> Our Lord and parents. Savior. Yeah. Right, right. <clears throat> Moses was born to slave parents. I, I mean, mm. we just have such a warped idea of yeah. what's required to yeah. have children. Yeah. So another barrier that I hear from women or even just see is the idea that that when we're told this from culture, that we need to build our career first and then think about having babies sometime down the road. What would you say to that? Well, I would say that it is so tempting because you get out of school and you've taken on the debt and you've gotten the degree, but why do you have to spend your 20s, which is your most fertile time of your life, building your career? Who says? Mm. Well, the culture says, or, you know, whatever messages we're getting. But as I am learning, there is so much life that happens after your kids are grown. And there's really a ton of life if you say, okay, well, once my kids are, you know, high school, now they're spending hours a day where they're independent and learning. And even if you're homeschooling, they're still doing a lot on their own. So you can squeeze in a lot more freelancing. Even what we're doing today, Kristen, is because Mm -hmm. our kids are of the age, two of them, I'm still homeschooling, but they're at a co-op today. So Tuesday's my day. I'm going to cram in some career stuff, some, you know, some ministry stuff, some work stuff. But I am getting excited about once our youngest is gone. Okay, Lord, what are you going to have for me then? And I'm looking forward Mm -hmm. to a season that is down the road. And I'm so thankful I didn't front load my career into my 20s, because it would have really limited how many kids we could have had. I love the story of Moses, who was educated at the finest institutions, right? He was a prince of Egypt, educated in Egypt, Mm -hmm. and he got this great education. And then what does God do? He sends him into the Midian wilderness to be a shepherd for 40 years to prepare him to go back to Egypt to be the deliverer of his people that he then goes into the desert for 40 years. And at the end of his life, you think, why did God give Moses that education, that top shelf Ivy League Egyptian Mm -hmm. education? Why? You know, right? Why did Mm. Moses need to know how to read and write? So he could write the Old Testament, right? The Pentateuch. I mean, he had to have that education, but I get, I'm guessing what Moses's idea of what he would do with his degree when he was done. Obviously I'm playing a little loose here, but his ideas were probably not God's ideas. And how often do we think we know what we need to do with our degree? And I, people say, I got this degree. If I don't use it, I'll waste it. And I'll say, no, if you spend your degree running a small corporation called your family home, your budget, your, your, you'll be a dietitian, you'll be a local nurse and doctor, you'll be a teacher. I mean, it's an expansive job to be a mom. And, and you really do end up being like the chief operating officer, right? Mm-hmm. The husband can be the chief executive officer. He makes the big decisions. He leads. But you're running the day-to-day. It's a huge job. Yeah. And I'm so thankful I have a master's degree because it sure helped me to be better at my job of being a mom. Yeah. And I am excited about taking all the life experience that I've gained once the kids are gone. And I don't anticipate or hope that they'll be far gone because I really want to be involved in grandchildren's lives. But I do think there'll be a season, Lord willing, where I'll be able to make 
some sort of a professional contribution Mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what we're also not told, we're told pursue your career first, maybe pursue babies later, sometime down the road when it's convenient, when you've reached all these other goals, but we're missing out on our best fertility years. And that is something I know more about my fertility now than I ever did before, because having walked through infertility, I've been constantly researching and studying and going to doctors and finding out. I'm like, I didn't know any of this when I got married about just even the basics of my cycle and ovulation and before and after and just how everything works and that my peak fertility years are in like my 20s. And once you hit 35, everything starts going downhill. And, you know, you can hit menopause early or, you know, it's just like we're not told any of this until it's too late. And then we look back and go, okay, I've achieved all my dreams, but now I want to have a baby and I can't because I waited too long. I mean, just biologically there, like you said, there is a clock. So there is, there are other things to think about, even when it comes to just how our bodies are designed as women. Yeah. And I think even the most Amazing professional achievements pale in comparison to Mm. having a baby. Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend. Yes. I had a friend who was on the track to become a lawyer. So she was like, godly Christian woman, had had a heart and vision for family, but she's like, I really want to become a lawyer to then be able to stand for causes and culture. So biblical Christian causes. Um, and she just realized this path is not going to enable me to really get married or to have children mm-hmm. and even be yeah. around my children. If I do get married, I'm never going to see them because of the demands of this job. And so she completely changed her career. Did she, her career path doesn't mean she gave up all of her passions or her, her desire to want to make an impact. She just had to shift how that was going to look so that she could prioritize being able to get married and have kids. And that's exactly what she did. Yeah. And now she makes an impact in ways that are able to to prioritize her family first, but I just remember seeing this years, seeing her make these choices years ago, and I just thought, wow, that's really courageous. That is something that mm. I think a lot of other women, if they think down the road, just bigger yeah, picture, more right. than the next five years, they'll realize how is this all actually going to work out. Yeah, we need to consider our end. Where mm-hmm. is this going to go? If mm-hmm. I follow the trajectory I've set and my path works out the way I'm planning it, what will that look like at the end? Yeah, yeah, so good. There's a few more things I really want to touch on. And one that we haven't really hit on is the, is what is the heart of God for children and family? And how have we know that we have strayed? You know, in this conversation, it's so apparent we have strayed as Christian women. We don't, even if we aren't intentionally thinking that we're rejecting God's plan, I think so often we are because we aren't growing and learning and understanding what his good design, his heart is for this. So I know it's a big question, but in a nutshell, can you give us a vision of what biblical family should look like? Yeah. Well, it begins in Genesis when God blesses Adam and Eve and says, be fruitful and multiply. And of course, the fruitfulness he's talking about there is primarily fundamentally having babies. And then we see it throughout the storyline of scripture that his plan for babies was to lead to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And we continue to be procreative, to have children, so that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. I was thinking about that verse this morning from Isaiah and um, Habakkuk. And um, knowledge, who has knowledge? It's people. Right? It's not like the trees are going to have knowledge of God, of God's glory the way people do. And so for yeah. the earth to be covered with the knowledge of the Lord, it has to be covered with people. And that's a whole other issue we could talk about is this mm. myth of overpopulation. And suddenly all these major Western nations are frantic because they don't have enough people. 
People right. are, human capital is the best capital there is. And so God is bullish on family. He made us procreative beings. He built it into our design. He linked that ability to our strongest drive. Maybe, I mean, maybe to eat is stronger, but it's certainly very, very close, right? The desire to be yes. sexually expressive mm-hmm. with the one you love is such mm-hmm. a strong desire. And that's where babies come from. And so it babies will continue as long as people continue. And then the Lord will come back. Yeah. But it's, it's a um, vision then too of children being raised in the fear of the Lord. And so that it's not enough to just be pro-life and say, have babies, have babies, have babies. Yeah. You have to, you have to then say, okay, well, what do we do now that we've had these children? Mm. And that is the project of marriage. It's, it's working together as one to raise these children to know and love and treasure Christ and trust in the Lord and to know his word and to love his word and to teach him God's glorious deeds. Psalm 78 says that the coming generations will learn from their parents about the glorious deeds of God. And, and it says, we will not hide from them. God's wonders and, mm-hmm. and the things that he has done and how many parents, even without realizing it, are hiding God's glorious deeds from their children just by neglecting to teach them about him and to give time to daily mm-hmm. go to the word with their children. And again, this social media and entertainment and sports, and there's so many distractions. We have mm-hmm. an embarrassment of riches when it comes yeah. to ways to spend our time and we neglect discipling our kids to the neglect of God's grand plan, which yeah. is that there would be a, a numberless host of people worshiping him mm-hmm. at the end of time. Mm, that's so good. We see words in scripture used for children and having babies like heritage. They're a heritage. They're a mm-hmm. gift. They're a blessing. How can we like understand what that really is talking about and, yeah. and like embrace it? Because if we really did believe that, I think as Christian women, it would change the way we approach family. Oh, well, I, I have to say I've, I live, I have a lived reality of experiencing children as a reward. The, one of the translations says children are re- a reward from God's hand. I think that when you follow God's design for having babies and having his glory is the ultimate reason that you're doing everything. It's not a vanity project. You know, kids aren't an accessory. You don't accessorize your life with a cute mm-hmm. baby. Um, and when you are, submitting yourself to the sanctification that he does in your life through the hard work of being a mom and a dad, and you devote yourself to disciplining your children and discipling them and then delighting in them. Well-disciplined kids are such a delight. And Mm -hmm. I think we, we get into trouble. One of the ditches is to be so focused on discipline that we forget about the delight I mean, our kids are our favorite people in the world to spend time with. We love hanging out with our kids. They're so much fun. And I just think, wow, you are missing out on so much. And so one of one of the fun things that we like to do is just have young families and especially young couples into our home just for a game night or a music night where the kids there, they have a band and they all play together and oh, how fun! To, to eat around the table together to talk and just to hear for these young couples to hear that our homeschooled kids are normal, that they can have normal conversations. <laughs> They're not weird. All of that. <laughs> it's just doing life in a way that you know, being a family, being a Christian family in a fallen world, in a dark culture like ours, is such an incarnational mm. way to picture the gospel. Mm. A husband loving his wife and leading her with a servant heart, a wife joyfully submitting to his leadership and trusting God, not fearing what is frightening, as mm. um, Peter talks about. Children who honor and obey their parents, children who like each other, 
just when we go to the grocery store and our kids are just, they, they aren't doing anything remarkable. They're just not beating each other up and hating on each other. <laughs> right. I can't believe how many people notice. And they say, oh my wow. gosh, your kids, they're, they're so good. And I say, no, they're not. They're, you know, like me, we all stumble in many ways, mm-hmm, James says. Mm-hmm. But thanks be to God by his grace, we are doing this thing called family in a way that is so against the culture. Wow. And we've made a lot of decisions along the way about how we parent and what we embrace and what we don't. Um, we have a pretty unplugged life and a pretty um, analog home. You know, we've got yeah. our technology here and there, but it's it's got restraints on it. But it's the relationship with these kids mm. and knowing that my goal was not to raise good kids, but to raise brothers and sisters in Christ. Wow. That's a huge vision. It changes everything. I mean, just the what you're describing. I'm like, oh, I want that. I mean, I think your next book needs to be all about parenting. <laughs> that's what I'm working on. <laughs> oh my goodness, are you yeah. really? Yeah, yes! that's the part three. <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes. I'm so yeah, excited. It's, okay, get married, start your family. It's like now what? Yes, we got to raise these kids. And yes, the and Lord, right? are you actually doing this, or are you hoping I, to I, one day do it? <clears throat> no, I've I've started on it. Okay, yeah. Well, don't I, give up. This, don't this stop. Is good. This is good accountability, Kristen. <laughs> yes. Keep going. I need it. And everyone listening needs it and is going to want it. So we'll have you back on, you know, as soon as it comes out. <laughs> we'll give you a little bit of a deadline. Yes, oh, that's, that's so good. Oh, that vision. So I know right now there are listeners who are wondering, okay, Candice, great. I get this vision. Um, okay, the gospel, wonderful. But are you saying I just need to have as many children as I can possibly crank mm. out? I mean, is there <laughs> a biblical balance or how yeah. should we even think about family planning biblically? I know that's a huge yeah. question and I'm still even like, we're on the other side of like, I joke with my husband. I'm like, we've been trying since day one and we're going to keep trying until I hit menopause. <laughs> we're not going to give up hope until the door is slammed that's shut. Right. So right. family planning isn't applicable to us because we're always yeah. trying, but for people who who are like, how do we think about this realistically? Yeah. Well, a word to people who are worried. Ladies, if you're worried that you're going to have 18 babies, if you say, okay, I'll just trust the Lord. Most couples are limited to fewer children than they wanted. Interesting. Then they are blessed with more children than they thought they could handle. Oh, wow. And so statistically, you're not likely to have more than you wanted. You're likely to have fewer. And part of that has to do with later marriage. And there are other factors that play into that. But people that get TV shows because they have 18 babies got TV shows because they were not the norm. That was unusual. That's so true. Atypical. Um, The Lord has given us a cycle that we can track and understand. And he's given us a mind to figure out when we're fertile. And we can use that to space our babies naturally. Um, I think that there are non-invasive ways to barrier methods and things you can do for occasional seasonal mm-hmm. birth control. We did that at points in our marriage when, you know, the like the baby was brand new and we got the yeah. green light from the doctor. Okay. You're clear to go back to your marital activities. And it's like, Oh, but if I get pregnant and she's six and a half weeks old, what would I do? Yeah, you know? yeah. So I think, I think, um, there is Christian freedom mm-hmm. to, to use our, certainly our understanding of our cycles, but even for seasons, I think some forms of birth control, as long as they're not potentially abortifacient. Mm-hmm. And I am always opposed to chemical birth control because I've just seen the damage it can yeah. do 
to a a woman's body. I will say that birth control, using birth control, changes the act of marriage, the intimacy of sexual intercourse, because it, it... you can't help but have some sort of a spiritual barrier. I can't explain it. Mm. It's not scientific, but I felt it. And I know that when we decided to start trying and we were suddenly not doing anything to try to prevent pregnancy, there was a, a an wow. openness and a oneness that was so overwhelmingly beautiful to me and this sense of, oh, maybe we made a baby. That oh. hope, that joy. And Kristen, I will say, I am way past menopause because it hit me early at mm. age 39. And it was devastating to have someone tell me I was done. It feels so empowering to say, oh, I'm done. We're done. But when someone tells you you're done and you can't have children, it's a very different feeling. And I am 52 now, and I still sometimes dream about having a baby. And I still sometimes think, oh, I miss that our intimacy doesn't even have the possibility Mm. of producing new life. There is such a beauty to the way God's designed it. Wow. And you can't know it until you experience it. No, I've never even thought about that, to be honest, until you said it this very minute. Mm. Of, I mean, I've thought about sex <laughs> making babies, <laughs> of course, but yes. the idea that it's, it's a different kind of sex when it has the possi- when the intimacy has the possibility yeah. to conceive and when the conception piece is gone, it changes in some way. Like that's, I've never even thought about that. And that's not to diminish intimacy that can't produce children as you know, and as you've experienced, but just to say that when we take that Mm -hmm. into our own hands and say, I am going to prevent this, there's a posture there, a heart attitude of being closed off to something. Mm -hmm. And when you take that away and say, okay, Lord, what did Mary say? Be it unto me according to your will. When you have that kind of, this sense of surrender to the Lord that says, I'm open. I'm open to what you have for us. And when a couple says that together, wow. we're open. Oh, it's just a spiritually mm. rich experience. Wow. Even if we don't feel like the timing's perfect or we don't have every last dime and penny yeah. organized in our finances or our family's telling us we're crazy, like just that that aspect of trusting the Lord, like willing to say, we're not ultimately in control. God is, and he's our father. He's our provider. He says children are a blessing, this family, this generational, this heritage, raising up disciples for his glory. Like we can trust him with that. This is a good thing. We know confidently by the truth of scripture that we're pursuing a good, beautiful thing and asking God for it. Like, oh, I mean, I just hear like the beauty and the freedom in what you're saying. So I know so many people are going to be inspired. I feel so inspired. I'm like, okay, we're going to double down. (laughs) So I am curious though, for you guys, did you, were you feeling like y'all were done at four kids or did menopause hit and you were hoping still for more kids? Well, we, I felt done at two kids and I even asked Steve if he would have a vasectomy and he said, no, (laughs) praise God. He said, no. Mm. And you know why I said that? Because I had lost all the baby weight and I was the thinnest I had ever been in my Mm. adult life. And I loved how I looked. It was such a bad reason. And so we took off two years from trying. And then when we started and we thought, okay, we're ready for a third. I couldn't get pregnant. And we tried for two more years and I couldn't get pregnant. And so we had secondary infertility (gasps) and suddenly I was frantic. Now it's this sense of what have I done and how do I undo this? And Mm. I, I got to the point of being willing to try some, um, heroic measures or extra measures or, um, you know, some to just kind of tip my toe down that, uh, infertility path. Yeah. 
And in God's kindness and mercy, we conceived and Churchill was born. So there's a four-year gap between Zoe and Churchill. Okay. And I hit menopause. I I got the phone call. Candace, you have achieved menopause. And I thought, how did you even know? Achievement. Yeah. My cycle was, <laughs> it was not an achievement. My cycle was so wonky. And um, I was... I, I just thought something's weird and we would, we wanted another baby. Mm. And so I went to see a, a hor- natural hormone specialist okay. and she did all the blood work. And she oh, said, cause you felt like some, yeah, you knew something was off. So you're yes. like, what's going yeah. on? Okay. Mm-hmm. She said, all your blood work confirms you're in menopause. And I, ha- two other doctors also did blood work. They all three said, yeah, you can't have any more children. So we came home and we told our kids, we said, guys, we would love to have another baby, but the doctors say mommy can't have more babies. But you know what? We can pray. And we wow. did. And I started on bioidentical hormones. Mm-hmm. They're plant-based. They're wonderful. Um, and my cycle came back. And I called that doctor. I said, I think my cycle's back. She said, oh, no, that's just breakthrough bleeding. You you know, you're, you're done. I got pregnant. <gasps> that well, the oh, next my one, obviously. goodness. And so... What a testimony to our children. And they still yes. say, Teddy's the miracle. You know, the doctor said we couldn't have more. Mom was done. But God said, no, I am in charge. I opened the womb and I closed the womb. Wow. And and I just think now, if mm. we had waited to start having our babies when we thought we were going to be ready, back when we were married yeah. and Mary was asking me that question, who knows what our family would look like? Yeah. We have one in heaven. We had a miscarriage between Harrison and Zoe. Hmm. And that was another pregnancy. I wasn't expecting that. I didn't want to be pregnant. I mean, just so many yeah. things the Lord teaches you through this painful journey of trying to have children. And I still, on occasion, will think, oh, I wish we'd had more. I wish we hadn't Aww. stopped. And, you know, I wish we hadn't taken that two-year break. And yet, wow. I, I rest in the comfort that God yeah. is sovereign. And he has promised to redeem everything for our good and his glory if we are trusting in him. And so that has to be the message to say, whatever your story, the Mm. Lord is sovereign and look to him to redeem the pain of the past and to guide and direct for the hopeful future and know that he is faithful. Amen. Wow. That is so, so beautiful. So in closing, because I know we're out of time here, but I wanted to ask you so much more. <laughs> this has just been, we, we are actually having on a doctor for our next episode mm-hmm. to talk specifically about birth control and hormonal birth control and the impact that that has on a woman's fertility and her body. Um, so I'm super excited about that conversation. Mm-hmm. But yeah. just as we close here, any anything we haven't touched on that you're like, man, I just want to give this final encouragement to young moms, even single women, as they're hearing this mm-hmm. conversation. Wow, that's a great, that's a big one. I know, I, I know. Have all these notes. And I don't okay, even think I got to well, you can them. rapid fire. Give us some <laughs> nuggets. I'm, I'm ready for them. Oh my goodness. Well, I would just say, um, stop, stop making these decisions based on worldly wisdom, and search the scriptures, mm-hmm. and pray with your husband, and ask him to commit to praying that the Lord would shape your thoughts about this. Fast and pray if that's what it takes. Seek the counsel of older couples. We never even really talked about how to find mentors in your life, older couples who've done this, who are further down the path, who can walk with you through this. And and pray. Ask people to pray with you about having babies. If you desire to have children and you haven't had them yet, it's good to pray about that. It's good to pray with your small group, with your pastor, with your with your mom, with your sister. 
The Lord cares more about this than you do, and he is for you. And so go to him and seek the Lord and seek his wisdom and ask him, Lord, if I am thinking about this in any way that is contrary to your word and your will, where I have absorbed the world's wisdom, would you would you clear that out of my mind and help me to think with wisdom about this most important of issues? The window of time is shorter than we think it, it yeah. will be. We have a fertility window that will close. The world and all the infertility clinics want you to think that you can wait till you're 40 and then start trying and be like the movie stars who right. do it that way. But it is not what it appears. Yeah. It is, it, it is prohibitively expensive and mm-hmm. it is, it's biologically very harmful and difficult on your body. Run to the Lord and just ask him, Lord, grow me and mature me in this area. And then whatever you teach me through it. And if you bless us with children, Give me what I'm going to need because it is a wild ride, but boy, mm-hmm. is it sweet and rich and so full of joy. Yeah. Yeah. And the sacrifice of motherhood. Can you touch on that really quick? Obviously, you know, if yeah. there's a new mom listening with a baby and she's not sleeping at all, up all oh, night, feeling like a zombie, yes. what yeah. encouragement do you have for her to just keep the bigger picture in mind? <laughs> yes. Well, the first encouragement won't surprise you. It's get off social media. <laughs> that sweet middle of the night feeding mm. time is so precious and it is so so fleeting and it is so tempting. I thank God I did not have a smartphone when I had babies because they hadn't been invented yet. It is possible to do it. <laughs> yes. um, I probably would have spent the majority of that time mm. looking at my feeds and wow, talk about a way to feel bad about yourself because you know, you're know you leaking out of every part of your body and nothing fits and you can't sleep and everything hurts. And yet what your baby needs most in that moment is for you to hold and smell mm. the new baby smell and, and give all your attention and pray and sing over that baby and just soak it in because it will go so fast and you will sleep again. I promise you, you absolutely will sleep again, but spend that sweet time just with your baby praying mm. and, and talking to the Lord and being all in mm-hmm. it's bone wearying work. It does get easier the the young years are so physically challenging. They need help with everything. But the teen years are so mentally and spiritually challenging because they need you to really give your best counsel and friendship and guidance. And so now they don't need you to wipe their nose or button their shoes or or their, you know, their collar or whatever. Yes. But they need you to be available to talk about deep issues and to walk with them. And so I would say, mm-hmm. um, Stay engaged all along at every stage. Give your best attention to your kids. The best way to do that is to turn off the distractions. Our mm-hmm. kids need our attention. Our full. They need us to be fully there in the moment. And we are our kids' favorite plaything. They would so much rather yes. have you, mom, than to have a toy. And they definitely need you more than a screen. Read them yeah. a story. Give them yourself. Oh, the fruit is so, so sweet. Kristen, stay in there. Keep homeschooling. Keep teaching those kids, Mm. pouring into them. The world, the flesh, and the devil conspires against our kids. Satan is so eager to devour our children. That picture of of the dragon in Revelation waiting to devour. And they need parents who are champions for them to say, I will not give you over to the world. I am Mm. parenting you and claiming you for the kingdom. And I'm going to do everything I can to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you so that you will be my brother, my sister in Christ for eternity. There's no other work we could do that would have that kind of reward. Mm. Talk about a reward. Yes. Yes. And the fruit is so sweet. It's so worth it. 
I needed to hear that. And I think a lot of other women did too. I'm, I actually recently made a little bit of a commitment. I don't know. It just in my heart of if my boys ask, not, it's not every single time, but if they say, Hey mom, want to go play basketball? Or can you do this puzzle with me? Or, you know, my default is like, Oh no, I can't. I'm busy. Right. Oh, I'm cooking dinner. Oh, I'm doing. And there are times where I can't just drop everything, but there are many times where I could, I'm doing something that isn't urgent. It's not crucially important that I keep doing that thing or it's completely stupid. Like it's something that doesn't even matter. And you know, more often than not, it's like, Oh no. And so recently I was like, that no, I need, I want to be investing in it. I want to be. Yeah. So I was put to the test just recently, like yesterday, my son came to me. He was like, mom, do you want to go play basketball? And I was in the middle of about to start dinner, but I was like, you know what? That can wait a few minutes. Sure. And I just said, sure. And he was kind of shocked. Like, oh, really? Cause he just expected, you know, me to say, no, I'm about to start dinner. He was so excited. He ran outside, you know, and our kids are again, they're older, so they can do all the yeah, things. Right, I went right. outside. I play basketball 10, 15 minutes. I love the sport. I grew up playing it. I, I'm not so good anymore, but it just, it's, he just loved that. And it was just like eye opening to me. Like, yes, I need to be saying yes more to them yeah. because I love them yeah. and I want to invest in them. Yeah. And, and, what we don't want is for them to stop asking because we've said yes, no so yes, many times. exactly. And, you know, moms of little ones, if you want your kids to talk <clears throat> to you when they're teens and not shut mm. you out, you got to stay engaged. And I, I am here to tell you, it is not a foregone conclusion that your teenagers are going to rebel and hate you and shut down mm. and push you out of their lives. You just have to stay engaged for the whole journey. And that means giving them your attention. You're right. It means being willing to say, yes, I'll play Catan with you. Or yes, I'll go, <laughs> go, we'll go play Foursquare outside or go shoot basketball or whatever they love to do to be available to mm. our kids. That's so good. Oh, there's so much more, but we, I will let you go. Thank you for all of your words of wisdom and encouragement. I would love it though, as we officially close this out. If you would pray for me, for our whole sisterhood listening, coming from all different backgrounds and walks of life, just, just pray over us and and our hearts as we seek the Lord in this Mm. super important area. I would love to. Lord Jesus, thank you for this conversation and for the way that you knit our hearts together as sisters in Christ. Oh, Father, how we need your help and your wisdom to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel in this culture that does pull on us and we are tempted in many ways, Lord, help us to look to you for the wisdom we need each day. I pray that you'd set our priorities. I pray that you would be with those listening who long to have a baby Mm. who can't or hasn't been able to yet, or who have a, a husband who is not on the same page with them. Lord, would you give them patience and help them to trust you and to pour out their heart to you, to cast their cares on you because you care for them. Lord, would you cause many couples to embrace the reward and gift and blessing of children? Would you stir up in our hearts in this generation of believers a renewed vigor and zeal for your design for family? Lord, may we not be just about having more babies to have more babies, but having Mm -hmm. babies who would grow up to become disciples of Jesus. And Lord, may we embrace the sanctification that comes from parenting the way you've designed us to. It is hard. It is costly. But when we die to ourselves, that's when we find our life in Christ. And when we, when we give, we find that it really is more blessed than to receive. Oh, how much better to pour ourselves Mm. out for other people, for the next generation. 
Lord, help us to be willing to make the sacrifices that will be required and to taste the, the good fruit that comes from that. Help us to trust you. And I pray that your will would be done, Lord, that anything that we've talked about that is not helpful, that is wrongly discouraging for listeners, Lord, let that just fall away and, and let what remains be useful and helpful. And may you receive all the glory mm-hmm. for whatever decisions come out of this conversation. And I just praise you and thank you for the ministry of of Girl Defined and the work that they're doing to be an example and a mentor and a light in a very dark culture. May we band together as women, as sisters mm. in Christ, to pray for one another, to encourage one another. May the older help the younger and the younger mm-hmm. help the younger under them. Lord, help us to be faithful and may we do it all in your strength. Lord, thank you for your spirit that helps us I pray, Father, that you would answer these prayers in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, everybody, go grab a copy of Start Your Family, Inspiration for Having Babies by Steve and Candace Waters, Candace and her husband. You will not regret this read. If you appreciated this conversation and you were like, whoa, maybe I need to re-listen to this again, do that. But then go grab a copy of this book because what we just talked about is like the tip of the iceberg when it comes to how much more there is to unpack in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Candace, thank you so much. Where can people connect with you? I know we're not going to find you on yes. social media, but where is there a website or is getting your book the best option? Yeah. Well, the website is the place to get the book. It's familymaking.com and all of the inventory is here. So if you want that book, you just need to email me and I will send it to you. Oh, um, I'll do a girl defined discount, 10% off. So just put girl defined in the email, but the email is waters at familymaking.com. It's waters with two T's at familymaking.com. Yeah. Awesome. Candace, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. It was a joy. I'm so glad we could have this conversation. Yes, same. Have a good one. You too.